before you again this morning and thank you for this time to just take a pause and focus in on you uh, we ask that for every single one who's watching that you would fill their room right now with your presence we pray especially for families with little ones at home for those who are living alone and we ask for a, a outpouring of grace and strength and connection in this time. We thank you for the uh, virtual ways that we're able to connect, and we bless all of, all of that, Lord. Uh, and we thank you for just being able to connect in this way, and we ask for an infusion of your grace and your love and your peace on every bit of this service, and we ask for healing where it's needed in homes. We ask for strength, for discernment and wisdom in this time, God. Uh, that we just be about your business and being your hands and feet and um, your presence to all of those we connect with. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Blue Water Ohana. A special welcome to those who are visiting and joining us for the first time. You make our community rich and all of us look forward to meet you. Well, it's good to be here this morning. Johanna and I were visiting family in Australia before rapid changes started to occur in both places. We are thankful that we made it back with one of the last flights. God's timing was perfect for our travels. We have to be in self-quarantine for one more week. Most of us are home and we find this a unique time to connect. Last Wednesday we had Ohana group um, via Zoom for the first time. It took a moment to get used to, but felt quickly more comfortable than I had imagined. 
Yeah, for Ohana Group, we did the usual, and some of us even brought dinner. I'd say it was unusually usual. God was at work, and we got to hear each other's stories. We left feeling uplifted and encouraged. This past week showed me how well equipped we are as a community. Our vehicle may be modified, but our hearts and our methods prevail. So, as a reminder, let's run down the ways that we can connect. First, join us for Sunday worship. Hey, you're here. I'm here. You're here. We're all here. Yes, we've connected. Um, on a daily level, we encourage you to connect with one or two people. It's simple, but goes a long way. Shoot a text, give a voice call, or even call face-to-face -face with whatever apps you have available. Connect via Ohana Groups. Not in Ohana Group? Here's how. Go to our webpage, bluewatermission.org, click on Ministries, click on Ohana Group, and email a leader. The leaders will fill you in. Connect via email with the email updates. Uh, to do this, you go to the webpage, scroll to the bottom, and enter your name and email address. You'll get an email at least once a week, and from that newsletter email updates, uh, you can connect with the Blue Water Break blog. Shout out to Ben, Elijah, Larissa, Angie, and Sonia who are providing those stories and reflections during this time. The prayer line will be open today after the sermon from 10.30 till 11. Email julie at bluewatermission.org with your phone number and email address. She will contact you and connect you with a prayer team. And as always, God is present and avail available for connection at any time. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. A final word, there's a lot of people around Blue Water that are interested in helping, so keep an eye on Facebook and the Blue Water email updates. All right, let's continue our worship with our tithe. If you're visiting or it's your first time, please feel no obliga obligation to give, but consider this service and our community are offering to you. You can give in two ways, online or via check. Uh, please mail our, your check to the office. Jesus reminds us that where our treasure is, so where our heart will be. So may our treasures and our hearts mm. reside with you, Jesus. Mm. Let's pray for our keiki. Keiki, would you mind standing up? And we'll pray for you. Oh, Father, we thank you for our children. We thank you for the life and ministry that they give to our community. We bless their time with your word, your fellowship, and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. All right. Amen. Well, why don't we hear the sermon? So, Father God, as we have lifted our hearts to you, I pray that you would impart your heart to us this morning, that you would give us your Holy Spirit uh, for guidance and for power in this world. I pray, Lord, that you would come now and remind us of things that you have taught us previously and that it is important for us to remember in this moment. We pray, Lord, for a spirit of fellowship to descend upon the Blue Water community in whatever space we happen to be sitting in right now. I pray that you would knit us together and that you would complete us under the headship of Christ in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. Amen. All right. Um, God bless you. Um, we are still online uh, doing our community uh, virtually. Um, and uh, thank you for all the work that you're doing to make this possible and for your work in the community. Uh, you may have noticed that uh, the coronavirus continues to dominate the headlines uh, in, in our world um, as, uh, as it should. Um, just for the sake of saying positive things in a dour time, uh, I'll say that uh, in the Hawaiian Islands, uh, praise God, still, things still seem to be going fairly well uh, in terms of the virus we have. Uh, as of last tally, about 120 confirmed cases at this point, and praise God, uh, no deaths. 
uh, which is great. Not all of those 120 people are from Hawaii. Um, some of that tally includes folks who have traveled to the island. Um, uh, and about 90% of the cases evidently are travel related. Um, so um, I think on balance, uh, the numbers are pretty good. Although if you or your loved one uh, are the ones who are sick, then of course that news doesn't sound very good at all. And we continue to hold up the community in prayer for protection. I will say, um, in the spirit of inoculating against fear in the world, that I think the press coverage on the virus is not just bad, but enormously bad, mostly in its, its tone. Uh, and I think in part that's because um, fear-mongering has always been uh, an easy way to gain an audience. And so you can expect a lot of that in stressful time like this. And in part, I think it's because um, our, uh, our dear president, Donald Trump, has tried, God bless him, to strike an optimistic tone uh, on occasion. And then, of course, because it's Donald Trump uh, striking the tone, 95% of the press reacts against whatever Donald Trump says. Uh, and then Trump reacts against what the press says. And pretty soon, both sides are saying really unhelpful things uh, instead of saying uh, true and helpful things. <clears throat> God bless him. Uh, but I mention all that uh, because I uh, do think it's possible to find good evidence evidence-based analysis out there uh, online. If you look for it, there are lots of decent articles written on what's going on in the world. I do like it when people value truth more than they value scoring points in political battles or personal vendettas. And, uh, and I think as people of faith, we should just cherish the truth and, and cherish evidence uh, and do our best to interpret it uh, objectively and well uh, to a stressed out world right now. Um, so God bless you uh, in your own uh, search for truth and balance. I think, I've been thinking about this a lot, I think faith means accentuating positive potentials at least as much as you accentuate negative potentials. You have to be willing uh, to, uh, to embrace both. We should be prudent. We uh, should be realistically cautious as people of faith in the world. We shouldn't tempt God by being reckless, right? We should be prudent, but we should not be afraid. That's not who we are. Uh, and then when bad things happen, as they sometimes do, we should work the problem with faith, like we talked about in the sermon last week. If you work the problem with faith, then that tends to bring action and creativity to you and to your problem solving. Fear freaks out, but faith finds a way. That's a great truism. People can become frozen in fear, but no one ever gets frozen from faith. It doesn't happen. Uh, so choose faith. Uh, I love the way that I'm feeling the Blue Water community right now. I love the way that the Blue Water community continues to make connections, continues to produce creatively. You heard about some of the ways that Blue Water members are producing creative content right now, making it available online. There are Blue Water, Blue Water community members doing outreach in the community, taking care of people in their neighborhood. I hear all sorts of stories. We'll try to filter some of those stories out to you eventually. Different community methods, but the same community of faith and love. And God bless all of you who are participating uh, in that. This is our community at work, and, and God knows uh, the community needs it. All right, that's the virus segment. Now for our warm-up question for the day. Everybody clap your hands. The room is packed. Um, here's, here's the warm-up question. Uh, virus aside, everything to do with the virus aside, generally in life, what hems you in? 
What makes you feel anxious or defeated in life, generally speaking? What are some of the big pressures that you feel as a matter of course? Think about that for a minute. What are the big pressures on you? Work. Nick says work. There are, uh, there are a few that tend to be dominant when you ask this sort of question. One has to do with the job or maybe money from the job, what you got to do to pay the bills. The other one that tends to pop up a lot is relationships. Different relationships tend to be filled with pressure. Another one that pops up a lot in some way, shape, or form is, is image, like your image, how you appear to people. That's huge. It is related to status, uh, which is often huge for people. What people think of you, independent of like your personal relationships, which just like what people think of you generally can be a big pressure for people often more than we realize or are willing to admit. I learned very young to be aware of what people thought of me uh, in, in my childhood and youth. I was always the new kid because uh, I was moving around so often. I was always the new kid in school. And my family situation was often in flux. I lived with different people at different times in different places. Um, so in that sense, my situation was often new and fluid as well. I didn't have a stable relational foundation in life that I could really rely on in some of the normal ways. Neither did I always have a stable material situation in life. I had some financial challenges here and there. So I learned uh, to be as impressive as I could in whatever social situation that I was walking into. If I was walking into a new school or a new neighborhood or something like that, my, my strategy was just to try and be very impressive. Um, when I couldn't be among the best at something, whatever that thing was, whatever the valued thing was in that situation, when I couldn't be among the best, I really stressed out a lot. I was a pretty bright kid, so in school I learned to be you know, among the smartest. Uh, I worked to become a good athlete because you know, as a little boy, athleticism is really valued, uh, particularly back in the day, so I learned to be good at that. And if, if I failed or if things didn't work out for me or if it seemed that um, I would have the appearance of failing and not meet among the best, God forbid, being among the weak, I stressed out. I would have sleepless nights as a 10-year-old. Like, literally, I would not sleep all night. I would go 36 hours without sleep just worrying about how I looked to my potential new uh, friends. Uh, it took me years to work that out. Uh, it took me years to understand exactly how that formed me and how that shaped me. And it turned out to shape my walk with Jesus quite a bit because the more serious I became as a disciple, the more I realized that my fear of what people thought of me couldn't coexist with my faith in Christ. Jesus preached freedom all throughout the Gospels. Uh, whenever uh, you see him preaching for any significant length of time in any of the Gospels, chances are he's preaching freedom from what? Freedom from something. He was always preaching freedom from, well, pretty, pretty much everything. Freedom from money. Freedom from fears about money, for instance. Uh, depending on how you count, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about any single moral issue in Scripture. Somewhere over 60 times across the four Gospels, he talks about money, money anxiety, free, uh, freedom from wealth, uh, and things like that. <clears throat> I don't think God wants you to be particularly poor. I don't think that he wants you to be particularly rich. I think he just wants you to be free from anxiety. And then he'll provide no matter what your current status is. Um, <clears throat> of course, Jesus talked a lot about freedom from fear of man, as it used to be said. Um, freedom from fears having to do with your reputation, uh, with your image. Um, my favorite line about this comes from uh, the 12th chapter of the Gospel of, of John. Um, 
where um, John is commenting on the attitude of some religious leaders, and he says, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. We love the praise of people. We love people to think well of us, and we really get rattled when we think that anyone doesn't think well of us. <clears throat> One of the biggies is that Jesus preaches fear, <clears throat> freedom from the fear of death. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Freedom from death. Jesus came to free us from death, and that is a huge fundamental, a huge fundamental that should make us incredibly courageous in the world. Uh, a lot of people say that Jesus preached freedom from sin, and I would agree completely, um, particularly because sin in the Bible is presented as something mainly that robs a person of freedom. Um, the first time we read about sin in Genesis, God is saying, uh, to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. You must master it or it will master you. The thing about sin is that sin becomes your master. Sin turns you into a slave and Jesus would just have none of that. Um, so uh, he rarely called people sin out of people when he does. It's always in the context of stop sinning so that you can live a freer life, a healthier life. Freedom from sin um, <clears throat> freedom from judgment, I guess you could say. Freedom from judgment of anyone. I think of uh, the story of uh, Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. At the end of that interaction, when all the woman's accusers have gone away, Jesus says to the, the, uh, the unfortunate woman, uh, Woman, does, where are your accusers? She says they've left. No one accuses me. And Jesus says, well, then neither do I. That's the freedom that comes with grace, that God is willing to overlook uh, our mistakes. I could go on. Uh, freedom from whatever. God wants us to be free people. Um, and Jesus had a great ability to sniff out things that made people feel less than free. When dealing with people, Jesus had an incredible capacity to figure out what was hemming in on them, what the pressures were on those people that warped them, that made them less free, that gave them a slave mentality. And to that end, Jesus was always addressing the issue behind the issue or asking the question behind the question. If you had a conversation with Jesus, the likelihood was that Jesus was going to take the conversation to a deeper level. Uh, no matter what you were talking about, he would go to the thing that really needed to be talked about, that really needed uh, to be addressed in order to make you a, a freer person. It's as if, with people, he were always fishing for freedom. Right? He was always trying to pull that thing up from the depths that would make you a freer person. And uh, we're reading such a story uh, today. Our scripture for today is from Matthew 17, the end of that chapter. Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. You can follow along in your Bibles at home, or I think we're going to put it up on a slide. <clears throat> Matthew 17, 24 through 27. And it's a, uh, it's a story about a conversation that Peter uh, and Jesus had, and it has to do with taxation, which is uh, totally appropriate because Matthew started out as a tax collector before he became one of Jesus's apostles. It's an utterly unique story from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it appears uh, only here. And it's a unique story in that it's a very curious one. This is this is a sermon series on stuff Jesus did. <clears throat> and uh, you'll see that this story seems to get cut off about halfway. It stops before there's full follow-through, uh, before the action step is made manifest. Um, but Jesus is obviously doing something with this story. It's not really a teaching. It's a conversation. It involves some prophetic ministry, some words of knowledge. But without further ado, uh, here's the story. 
After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Let me stop and say the temple tax was, it was kind of like a membership due that good Jews paid to temple officials. Uh, it was supposed to support the operation of the temple, of uh, the ministry of the temple, which was, of course, very important to the Jews. Um, but by paying a temple tax, you sort of proved yourself to be a good Jew, um, to be on the right side of a lot of the religious and political issues of the day. And if you couldn't pay the tax, if you didn't pay the tax, it brought a lot of social stigma. So it was a very meaningful question. Uh, so one of the, uh, uh, the temple officials comes to Peter and says, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Evidently, there was some question about whether Jesus would pay the tax because even at this point, Jesus was known as sort of a sort of a, an outlaw rabbi. I mean, there were those accusing him of not being a good Jew, of being a political rabble-rouser, etc., because Jesus often gave challenging teachings and often challenged the religious leaders of the day. So this is like a, a huge issue having to do with political correctness, in addition to being an issue about taxation, to being about money. Um, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. Hmm. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch. Open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. The temple tax was two drachma. There was a four drachma coin in circulation. It was uh, probably a coin from Tyre, as read the commentaries. They will tell you exactly what kind of coin it was. Well, a four drachma coin would cover the tax for both Peter and Jesus. Peter was sent to go fishing and to find a four drachma coin in a fish's mouth. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. So sort of a, <laughs> a crazy, bizarre story, a very fanciful story almost. What's going on here? Um, let's take a look. So Peter has this conversation with the temple officials, this tax collector, um, who asks him a question that is really more of a question. It's almost an accusation, probably. Doesn't your teacher pay the tax? And Peter says, oh, yes, he does. But one gets the impression that Peter responded maybe a little too quickly or a little too neatly because when Peter walks uh, into the house where Jesus is, Jesus immediately speaks to him. Evidently, Jesus has sensed in his spirit, he's had some sort of prophetic revelation that, um, that Peter has had this conversation outside. Um, Jesus sort of existed in this extrasensory state. He often perceived things beyond his physical limits. So he knows in his spirit that Peter has had this conversation. Just as later on in the story, he knows evidently that when Peter goes to the shore and tries to catch a fish, he's going to catch a fish who has swallowed a coin. I don't know exactly how Jesus knows these things, but he has perceived it supernaturally. It happens sometimes for those who are sensitive in the ways of the Spirit. Um, so Jesus is the first to speak. He said, Peter, hey, that conversation. <laughs> so, uh, he says... Uh, what do you think? From whom do the kings of the earth collect taxes? From their sons, from their own children, or from the people at large? In those days, lands were governed by families, and so a king would not tax his own family. He would tax people to support his family. That was, that was the deal. So Jesus preempts anything that Peter might say about the tax by asking Peter his own provocative question. 
And this obviously is a loaded question. Jesus is subtly asking Peter, so um, if we are sons of the king, if we are sons of God, you know, are, are we subject to taxation? Do we have to pay this tax, Peter? In other words, what do you think? Do we have to pay this tax? And I think probably Peter was bright enough to catch on right away. And he says, oh, well, no, the kings don't tax their sons. And I imagine there being sort of a pregnant pause at this point in the conversation. Um, the sons are exempt, Jesus summarizes eventually. In other words, so we don't have to pay the tax, right? And there's a lot of poking and prodding here. Uh, there's a lot of code speaking going on. Uh, I think Peter felt, when he talked to the temple official, I think he realized that the only politically correct answer he could give was, well, of course the master is going to pay the tax. Of course we pay our temple taxes. We're good Jews. And then Jesus kind of points out to Peter, well, do you have to pay the tax to be a good Jew? Do you have to pay the tax to be a godly person? And Peter's like, uh, no, you don't. So Peter's kind of caught here. Now, I imagine he has a, 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 at least a small sense of conviction. You following along? You following along? Are you following along? Yeah. I worry about you. I'm, I'm in it to win it. All right. Loaded conversation. Okay, now that we've established that we don't have to be politically correct, Jesus says, but so that we may not offend, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go catch a fish and you've got to get a coin out of the fish's mouth and pay the tax for both of us. That's going to be the solution. Um, now that we're free from fear of what these people think of us, we can be creative with the problem solving. And I think that's the crux of the story. Now that we're free, we can be creative in faith. Say it with me. Now that we're free, we can be creative. All right. Two people are following me. But Jesus had to clean up the fear of man first. He had to clean up all that fear about, you know, Peter having to be politically correct and look good and image and proving himself a good Jew and all of that stuff. <clears throat> To be fair, I think Peter might have been in a hard place. Um, he certainly wants to be a good Jew. He wants to be seen as a good Jew. He wants to make a contribution to his community, which was, revolves around the temple. All of those are fabulous things. Also, as the story implies, Peter may have been aware that Jesus and the team didn't have any money to pay the tax, right? Because at the end of the story, to get money, Peter has to go fish for a miracle, literally. Um, so Peter was in a tough place. It's like, well, you know, can I say that we don't have any cash? Is he going to think that I'm disreputably poor? Is he going to think that I'm disreputably unconcerned about the temple? I mean, there's a lot of pressure on Peter. So the way Jesus kind of cuts through it, um, intrigues me. Uh, I enjoy it quite a bit. It's like, look, Peter, I know there's a lot of pressure on you. Do we have to pay the tax to be right with God? Yes or no? No. Okay, then. Are you breathing easier? Great. Now we can be creative. Once the fear is gone, now you can just rely on faith, and that usually leads you to creative solutions. It usually leads you to, I don't know, be sensitive in your spirit, to maybe get some revelation from God, even if that revelation leads you to bizarre actions, as in this case. Go fishing for a fish that has swallowed a coin. Jesus' prescription is bizarre. Um, Fish do follow, swallow shiny things when they fall in the water. I imagine that that's what happened, or maybe God miraculously put a coin in a fish's mouth. I don't know. But, you know, it's within the realm of possibility. What's miraculous is that Jesus knew that the first fish Peter caught would have the coin. Again, he lives in this extrasensory state. 
And that's the end of the story right there. We don't see Peter go to the shore. We don't see him uh, throw the line in. I imagine Peter did it. I imagine it worked out pretty well. Um, but the story kind of cuts off before Peter catches the fish. I think obviously because the story isn't about the miracle of the coiny fish. The story is about Peter's mindset and what's going on for Peter in the story. And that's, that's what the focus is, is on. Uh, is this thing works out by the end of the day, what will Peter have learned? How will Peter have changed is the question that's in my mind. Will he have learned that God provides? Sure, but ostensibly he already knew that. Um, he's seen uh, the miracle of the miraculous feeding and all of that stuff. Um, will he have learned that from time to time you have to be willing for God to provide creatively? Absolutely. Definitely. I'm not feeling it, guys. <laughs> Can you wear a white shirt next week? All right. All right, moving on. Um, you know, that, that too, one of my personal proverbs is God always provides, but you don't get to choose how. And part of the adventure is discovering how God provides for us as, as we go along the way. But I think, the, I think the big lesson for Peter is once you're free of fear, then you can be creative. And I imagine that's what he was walking away with as he... Uh, I went to the, the shore. Is that, is that your phone ringing, Nick? I'm cutting this section out. Is that your phone ringing? You try to find good help, people. <laughs> I think what Peter learned is, once you're free from fear, then you can get creative, or God can be really creative with you. Um, I think there are uh, three steps when you're faced with a lot of pressure. One, identify what the fear really is. And Jesus' provocative question was great at that, sort of pointing out to Peter that, well, he wasn't afraid of being right with God because children don't have to worry about being taxed by their father, right? Obviously, Peter was afraid of what people would think of him about being right with people. So Jesus kind of bursts that lie, um, and then moves on. So first, identify your, peer, your fear. Second, apply truth. What's the truth of the situation? Peter, what's the truth here? Are, are we afraid of God? Does God provide for us? All right, identify fear, apply truth, and then third, be creative. It is your right as a child of God. Identify fear, apply truth, and then be creative. Once you find what your actual issue is, what the pressure behind the pressure is, why you are so anxious, why you are truly so afraid, then and only then, then you, can you find the creative solution that God has in front of you, that God has in mind for you. That's how it works. Say amen, somebody. <clears throat> I've been uh, thinking about applying these truths in our world today or in our community or indeed in my own life. If I, were, if I were talking to some of the politicians who are in charge of oh, public health policy today, uh, I would say, well, let's identify your fear. Do you need to keep people safe or are you more worried about appearing to keep people safe? Or appearing important to people who are stressed out. That can make a big difference in how we, we do policy making uh, and the creativity that we can bring to bear on what is a, uh, a very challenging public situation currently. Or if you're financially stressed out, are you worried about paying your bills? Or are you more worried about looking like someone who can't pay the bills? You know, does it have to do with image or does it have to do with actual survival, uh, getting by? Both of those things can be stressful, but often the money anxiety that we have isn't directly about money only. There's so much stuff that goes into it, as was the case for Peter uh, in this story. Uh, these days, 
as always. Do you want to love people or do you just want to be valued by people? Do you want to be admired by people? Which shapes your behavior more? Um, the way you answer that question will lead you to very different mindsets and behaviors. Uh, do you want to be a learner? Do you want to learn things? Or do you want to be seen as smart? Those are two very different things. If you want to be seen as smart, you might be afraid of admitting that you don't know things, which might get in the way of learning things. You have to identify the real issue, the fear behind the fear, the question behind the question. Did Peter think they needed to pay the tax, really? Or was he just afraid of what people would think of him and the team if they didn't pay the tax? Was he afraid of not having enough money to pay the tax? Was he afraid of what people would think if they didn't have enough money? Did Peter even know what he was afraid of? Or, like a lot of us, was he just kind of a ball of anxieties, the threads of which he could not untangle? The story ends with Peter going off to fish, presumably, and we never see the outcome. This is a story about mindset, about stuff that gets in the way of our creative problem solving. As he heads, as he heads off to fish, you like this? As he heads off to fish, what would Peter be thinking? Or if he caught the fish and found the coin in the fish's mouth, what would he be envisioning? Would he envision going to the, uh, the temple officials and saying like, here's your tax. I got it from a fish's mouth. Enjoy. You know, that would have been a great moment. That would have been fun. To do that, it's as if he would be saying to the temple official, yeah, you know, we want to support you, but let's be clear. You know, God's with us, and I don't need to prove it to you. I don't need to prove that I'm a good Jew. God is providing for us, and that's enough. That's all I care about. I think probably at the end of that day, Peter would have been thinking something like, what people think of me is less exciting than my walk with God. Because if your walk with God involves God providing out of fish's mouths, if your walk with God involves being totally free of what people think of you and free to have God provide for you in whatever way God's going to provide for you, if your walk with God involves the occasional miracle, if your walk with God involves receiving knowledge supernaturally and spiritually, then that's way more exciting, way more compelling than looking good in front of people. And there's a deep truth in that. There's a deep truth in that. His initial goal, Peter's initial goal at the start of this day, might have been to look good in front of the temple officials, to look good in front of the arbiters of political correctness. But by the end of the day, I think he would have been more excited about the fish story. I think he would have been more excited about being close to God. And that's the problem with fear, is it tends to drive a wedge between you and God. You know, God wants to provide. He wants to be miraculous. He wants to guide you. But if you get overcome with petty fears, or even not-so-petty fears, it can kind of rip you out of the faith mindset, out of the creative problem-solving mindset. And that does not lead to happy places. I'll end with two really good diagnostic questions for life. Questions uh, that I often ask myself. Um, and questions that I often ask of other people uh, who come to me uh, for help with problems. Question number one. What am I really afraid of? What are you really afraid of right now? I began the sermon by asking uh, you to think of some pressures on your life, different things that make you feel hemmed in, whatever they are right now. Maybe it has to do with the virus, sure. Maybe it has to do with money or jobs, sure. Maybe it has to do with relationships. Maybe it has to do with what certain people think of you or how your image shows to the world, something like that. Okay, but what are you really afraid of? I mean, get, get to the bottom of it. Don't just kind of live in the level of knee-jerk conversations and petty proofs and things like that. I mean, what's really weighing on your soul right now? What's the fundamental? 
so much wisdom comes from simply identifying where our fear truly comes from. Because then you can deal with it creatively. Just take a moment. Take a breath. All right. Why are you really stressed? That's question number one. Question number two, what's God up to in this? What's God up to in this situation? What's God up to with respect to this issue that's really weighing down your soul? Once you're in touch with it, you reflect it back to God, he can maybe give you some, I don't know, some creative guidance. Sometimes that guidance is going to seem really practical. Sometimes the guidance might be like really fanciful almost. Like, wow, I don't even see how that directly connects. But I will follow the leading of the Lord. What's God up to in this? Finding out what God is up to in a crisis often delivers you from the crisis, but will also invariably improve you as a free person. It will make you free of the world and plugged into God, which is a much more interesting way to live. What am I really afraid of right now? And what's God up to with that? Great questions. Identify your fear, apply truth, be creative. It's a formula for really interesting stories, really unique stories. And it's a great way to fish for freedom, which I think we should all be doing in life. Jesus preached freedom over all things. Find it, man. It's your call. And once you get the hang of it, it becomes your ministry. Ask a question. Nick has a question. What are some of the fears that you've heard from people or sensed in the spirit or in the community that are underneath the larger fear that's being put out there or propagated terms? Yeah, the question is, what are some of the fears that I've perceived from people that I've perceived in the community that sort of uh, filter into the obvious fears that we're talking about most. I, mean, I think the obvious fears being, we're all going to get sick and die soon. Right? It's a pandemic. Uh, what, are, what are fears that people have uh, in the midst of that? Well, I think <clears throat> one, of the, one of the related fears uh, is just sort of the basic fear of the unknown. Right? I mean, what's the future going to bring? Um, I think there's fear in the community, in the world right now, having to do with not catching the virus. All right? That's an anxiety for people. I don't want my loved ones to catch the virus. That's an obvious anxiety for people, and, and rightly so. I think the virus will go away. But I think the fear that has been released by the virus is going to be much harder to get rid of. And I'm really worried that people will see the future in a much more fearful fashion from now on. Because when this pandemic goes away, <gasps> there might be another one right around the corner. And maybe we just need to keep our distance from people forever. And maybe everything in the world needs to be reconstructed. And maybe we need to be really, really careful with our money now instead of generous because the world could fall apart next year and fear itself becomes the disease. Um, the future itself becomes the threat. Um, and you think the economy is bad now. How is the economy going to recover when people are just so devoted to fear that they can't invest, that they can't be generous? That's going to be really difficult. You think relationships are strained now. How are they going to be strained when people are afraid of the next infection? The legacy of this virus may indeed be worse than the virus itself. Uh, I think the unknown is the great boogeyman <laughs> uh, for a lot of people. Um, and uh, the most pernicious fears are the ones that you can't prove or disprove. They just exist out there in the ether. So a lot of times what people are 
really afraid of, to, <clears throat> to your question, is uh, kind of vaporous ghosts that may or may not exist. And right now, I think Satan is wreaking havoc with that sort of thing. We are people of faith. And the future um, looks differently to us than it looks to normal people. Uh, and whenever there is a gap, we can fill that gap with faith. Wherever there is a gap of knowledge, we can expect creative problem solving. We don't need to expect the worst. We don't need to expect things to get even, uh, even darker uh, than they are. We can expect God to provide a way and for the people of God to rise up. We can expect revival, which is to say, you know, re-life. <laughs> we don't need to expect ongoing death. And that's a privilege that we have. Um, the unknown is not our enemy. All right, let's pray. Fear is the most exclusive of all Christian virtues, Father God. We are allowed to be afraid of you and nothing else. And even that fear is moderated because we know that you love us unspeakably much. I pray, Lord, uh, that in this season we would seek your approval, that we would seek uh, your help. I pray, Lord, that we would be people uniquely free of anxiety, not just anxiety having to do with the virus, but anxieties having to do with whatever hems us in, whatever makes us feel pressure and stress. This is a unique time in the world to address those things and to emerge clean, fearless, rooted in truth, and amazingly, breathtakingly creative. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in extrasensory ways like you spoke to Jesus, that you would, that you would tell us um, things that we need to know uh, from afar, that you would uh, speak to us of things that we need to do in order to move forward in provision or in ministry. Uh, come, Holy Spirit, uh, and give us amazing stories to tell. In Christ's name, Amen. Everybody says amen. amen. We are going to put a slide up on the screen here uh, with Julie's email on it, julie at bluewatermission.org. This is our prayer team for the day. If you want to pray with uh, a member of the Blue Water prayer team, send Julie an email at the email address that we are showing you on the screen and include in that email your phone number. And then someone on the Blue Water prayer team will call you back and pray with you over the phone or over uh, Zoom or FaceTime or ho however you guys work out doing it. Um, because we don't want anybody to be unconnected um, from brothers and sisters who are willing uh, to pray and able to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lots of great things can happen over the phone lines and lots of great things can happen online as well. So we're showing that. Uh, go ahead and email your prayer requests between 10.30 and 11 a.m. Uh, this morning, Sunday morning. Uh, go ahead and do that and people are standing by just to pray with you. Uh, God love you. Be light in the world. Uh, be free from all dark things, in Jesus' name, amen.